name is Dan Olson-Bang, and this is GradCast from Syracuse University. Today, I'm interviewing Marin Wood. She is the founder of Beyond the Professoriate and has a, a new platform called Aurora, which we are very proud to bring to Syracuse University and uh, are beginning to roll out just now. And so I wanted to have a chance to just um, ask her a little bit about her own background and to get a sense of what Aurora offers to students. So thank you so much for, for being here, Marin. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. So maybe we can just start off with your background. You have a PhD in history. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your, your own career path? Sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually Canadian. I'll, uh, I'll let everybody know that. Um, and uh, I grew up in southern Alberta, and I did an undergraduate uh, degree in history. And, you know, I think for a lot of people who go to university, especially people from more maybe working class backgrounds or, you know, farming backgrounds, which is what mine was, you know, I really, I, I came alive when I came to university and I really fell in love with academia, with the university environment. I loved being surrounded by people who would geek out on subjects I loved to geek out about, uh, history, gender, sexuality. And so I really felt like as an undergraduate, I came into my own. I, I, I found my people. and. Um, this led me then to want to pursue advanced degrees. I'd always wanted to be a teacher, but when I arrived at university, that kind of shifted. And I thought, oh man, the life of the mind, the life of the of a professor, this looks fantastic. And this is, this is where I should be. This is what I want to be. And I, I felt like it was my calling. Sounds so, familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went to do a master's degree at Carleton University, and I had a really great mentor and advisor, Pamela Walker, who really encouraged me to apply to American schools. Pamela did a PhD at Rutgers. Uh, she's also Canadian. And so she really knew the value of you know leaving Canada, going abroad, getting an international perspective. And so with her support and help, I, I applied to uh, multiple PhD programs in the United States and ultimately uh, decided to go to Carolina. Um, I, went, I got I got into Michigan and Rutgers, and I since you're in Syracuse, I'll, t I'll tell you as a Canadian, I went to Carolina for the weather for sure. <laughs> no kidding. I, would I do arrived. The same. I arrived in March, and there was people were outside running, and there were flowers, and I thought, wow, who knew that the people lived like this in March? Um, and so you know, Carolina's a, Carolina's a top ten program. And uh, there was really no conversation or discussion about anything other than an academic career path. That's changed now at Carolina, and it's certainly changed in the history department. And I give them credit for the work that they have been doing to support students. But at that time, and I've done the research for the department, 70 to 80% of students were landing tenure track jobs with their Carolina PhD. Um, and what I didn't really know at the time was that was the mid 2000s was uh, actually the good times to be on the job market. And I finished my PhD in 2009, graduated right into the heart of the Great Recession, and everything about the history job market changed that year. Jobs were being pulled faster than they were being posted, um, and I, I managed to get a couple of interviews, but any you know job search were canceled, just like people are experiencing now. And um, I decided to stay on the academic job market. I was really encouraged to do so, and I then was an adjunct for a couple of years and continued to apply. And by year three on the job market, I was just burnt out. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I couldn't continue sacrificing my finances my and my mental health um, and putting my relationships, personal relationships, mm -hmm. stressing them. Um, my, my now husband at the time partner, you know, he was 
doing consulting work and he'd just finished his MBA and he was trying to launch his career. And so we just were really treading water and it just became an unsustainable situation for us. And Martin got an opportunity to take a consulting position in, in DC, paying way more money than I was looking at as a, you know, applying for visiting assistant professors in history. And it just became obvious that this was just not going to work out the way that I wanted it to. And so I decided to leave. Um, I decided uh, in the summer of 2012, I had no plans, uh, or 2011, excuse me, I had no plans. I continued my adjunct contracts through the end of the year. And then in January, I moved to Washington, DC. And I was depressed. I had never asked myself any of the questions that I know now I should have been asking. Um, and I asked all the wrong questions. I started with things like, what can I do with my history degree? And that led me to, you know, the National Archives, which I couldn't apply for because I was a Canadian, you know, and I was looking around at historic houses and they didn't have jobs. And the lack of opportunities for me just was so incredibly depressing. And I felt very demoralized. And what I started to do with um, was to research what other things people with humanities career uh, PhDs did. What did PhDs in the humanities do when they didn't become faculty? And that led me to publish an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but the American Historical Association was very interested in this topic. And they actually hired me to do some research for them. And I published a study with Rob Townsend, who's always been very generous and as a really great supporter. Um, and uh, that then led to serendipity. Uh, the Chronicle was then interested in similar kinds of questions. And so I did a, a project for the Chronicle, actually tracking who landed tenure track jobs, um, because I thought that was an interesting question. Like we're telling, giving people advice about staying on the job market, but when should we actually pull the plug? When do we actually make the decision to leave academia? And I was really interested in that question. So I did some re research for the Chronicle for about two years. And during this time, people, I was writing and publishing and people were reaching out to me, asking me for advice, asking me for resources. Uh, and so this led me to start a side, another side hustle. I think I've, all of this sort of felt very side hustly at this time, but <laughs> of doing um, career, career education, developing courses. And um, in 2013, um, partly out of my own struggles to figure out what on earth I was going to do, I, I started uh, hosting an online career conference for PhDs, which is how Beyond Prop started. Beyond the Professoriate was actually the name of the conference that we were doing. Um, and so that's sort of how I ended up in this space. Um, and then once the con research contracts rolled, uh, ramped down, I decided that I that there was a need to provide year-round professional development. It wasn't enough to have a conference just one time in May, that people were, were coming to me all year-round asking for help, um, hitting the wall in academia just at different points, um, and that there was a need to provide more resources for PhDs to help us figure out how to best leverage our education in especially when the academic career path is either not what we want by choice or I think more often the case when we're being pushed out of the academy by a lack of opportunity. Um, and so that just kind of led me to start Beyond Prof as a full-time uh, organization three years ago. Uh, we're in year four. We're still in like full startup mode. I can't wait to get out of startup mode and into like drive <laughs> mode. But it's been a really interesting journey and I, I certainly have learned a lot. Oh, that's interesting. You moved from a history PhD and then struggled as many people do through the, the academic world and came out on the other side as, uh, for lack of a better word, an entrepreneur. What does it look like to, to be an entrepreneur, especially with a humanities background, which is something that I think people don't really always associate with 
uh, entrepreneurship in general? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges to entrepreneurship. Um, I think it's fair to say that, uh, or just to tell or warn people out of the gate, it, three to five years before you make a profit is in the numbers that kicked, get kicked around in the entrepreneurial world. Um, and so like, you should just be prepared for that. If you're thinking about starting your own side hustle, it doesn't mean you won't be bringing in income. It just means that, you know, being able to actually draw a salary or support yourself and build up your client base or, or a business just takes a lot of time. You are really starting over and building um, from the ground up. I like, I really actually like entrepreneurship. I never would have ended up in this space. And I think it's actually a much better fit for who I am as a person. I like the fast pacedness of entrepreneurship. I like the fact that you make informed, data informed decisions, but you do it quickly and you're able to evaluate the effectiveness of what you're implementing with it over a couple of months before you want to make a, a pivot or before you want to bail. And, you know, that's the opposite of historical research. You know, historical research yeah. is like 27 years on the same topic and you might publish a couple of books. So I actually find the pace of entrepreneurship really exciting and really interesting. There, it's a lot of solitary work. So I think that that's a, a strength that I bring out of surviving a humanities program and writing a dissertation. You have to be able to drive yourself. You have to be able to drive your own agenda. You have to get up, put pants on and do work, even if there's no deadlines. And that can be challenging for people who are used to working in a professional space. I don't think that's a challenge for PhDs, especially at it coming out of the humanities. Like, you know how to set your own agenda. You know how to set priorities. You know how to work hard. And I think that those are, are necessary skills for, for a side hustle. The other kind of breath of fresh air of entrepreneurship is that like failure is great. Like you meet people at these entrepreneurial <laughs> conferences and they're like, oh, I started, I'm on my seventh startup. And you want to be like, well, maybe you should, maybe you're not so good at this if you're on your seventh. <laughs> but there's, so long as you're learning, it's not a failure. And people who fold businesses or, you know, even in my case, so I started out kind of doing this research and that didn't go somewhere, you know, go the way I wanted it to. And then I started a community platform and we recently folded that because that wasn't as successful as we wanted to be. And now we're, we're finding success partnering with universities. You have to be comfortable with like making, being okay with folding things or, or folding businesses or things not having the exit that you want them to. But in, in the entrepreneurial land, so long as you're learning and leveraging that, what you've done it's not a failure. You know, you can run a company into the ground and go work for Google. So long as what you did was like you learned something, maybe the economy wasn't what you wanted to do, whatever. But you can actually um, build on your failures in a way that's just not allowed in academia. You know, failure is shameful. And there's been a lot of conversations in academia about like, oh, we should talk about the rejection letters that you get or the publications that didn't go anywhere. And like, that's great, but it's still not a driving force. Um, and because entrepreneurship is all about taking risks, you are actually rewarded for those failures in a way that you're not. And I really like that about the entrepreneurial space. That's really interesting. So I, I guess we've covered it a little bit, but I, I want maybe a little bit more advice that you might give to people who have an interest in the side hustle or entrepreneurship? Yeah, make friends with someone with who has an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, business is hard. Marketing is hard. Um, I think that sometimes in the academy, because we value a certain kind of expertise, we don't 
take seriously the kind of expertise that comes, that is required in business, the kind of market research that needs to be done, the kind of um, financial uh, management that you have to be thinking about, those kinds of tools. And so um, I think if you want to start your own business, start attending now virtually, start attending entrepreneurial meetups, attend pitch nights, um, join some of these entrepreneurial spaces. I'm in a, comp- uh, a group called like the Founders Network. There, that's You actually have to be invited, but there's lots of groups that are out there and really become familiar with the landscape. And I would say if you can, get some work in a startup before you begin your own. I think it's actually really difficult to do what I did um, and why it takes so long is that you have to build up a certain expertise and relationship and network with potential customers or clients before they'll give you money. You have to have a proven track record um, in order for people to say like, yes, here's my money. Um, And so having that expertise or having that um, familiarity with entrepreneurship and your your space can be, um, you can do that while you're in grad school. You know, you can get a side hustle or work at an, a startup or, or get familiar with that kind of, of pace. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, there are lots of resources. There's like the Small Business Association, they run SCORE. There's a lot of like free and low cost resources through the SBA to help people get started running their own business. Um, but, uh, you know, my MA advisor, when I would tell her, you know, when I would talk about my research about, you know, well, no one's done this. No, I should be writing this dissertation or this mass, this MA thesis on this topic because no one's done it. And she's like, well, maybe no one's done it because it's a dumb idea. She's like, I don't actually think yours is, but that's not a reason enough to do something. <laughs> and the same goes with a business. Like if you have a really good idea an original idea and no one's doing it, you might want to think about a little bit like, well, why is no one doing it? Um, what is my unique proposition in this space? How do I build on what's already here? Because you want to be unique, of course, but you also want to make sure that there's a market for what it is you're doing. And so very similar to the questions you ask about your research. How does this fit? How does this build? Who am I building on? How is this part of a larger conversation? You want to approach starting a business from the, with that same attitude of like, okay, it's not enough that no one's doing this. Who, does I, who do I build on? How does this fit within a larger conversation? Is there a need for what I'm offering? Tell me about your decision to build Aurora and and why Aurora as a name. As I talked about, I went through this process and of leaving academia and trying to find a new path. And over the last couple of years, really last the first three years of Beyond Prop, and then a little bit before that, I, I talk, I've talked to hundreds of PhDs who are in crisis. Uh, and so many of the people that I started working with were PhDs who no longer had um, access to resources on their campus. And when I reach those, when those people find me, when they're three, five, seven, ten years out, there's they're they are in so much more crisis than they need to be. And I I don't know if I said that correctly, but the longer you're out of the academy doing postdocs and adjunct and, and, and in this path, the harder it is to leave and the less resources you have. You're exhausted. Uh, your debt is exhausted. Your relationships are more exhausted. You're more depleted. And so I just, I saw so many people who were just at this, they had been languishing and they were, they were suffering and they, they needed intervention earlier in their careers. And so 
Aurora, the name Aurora, again, the Canadian piece, in, in literature is often a symbol of exploration. And it's also a symbol of hope. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about the, the darkness of a Canadian winter. Familiar to us here in Syracuse. Um, <laughs> yes. When you look up and you see the northern lights, it's magical. And it, it's, there are bright lights in a dark sky. And we wanted our, our platform, we want our programming and our resources to be that for graduate students and postdocs who are feeling that darkness of uncertainty. You know, we know from the research that we've done that career uncertainty is a leading cause of anxiety and depression amongst graduate students and early career scholars. And we want them to know that there is hope, that there are are opportunities. And it is a journey and it is unknown and there is an exploration piece to this, but we also wanted there to be that hope. And so for us, Aurora, because we are literary background, for our literary background, we liked the imagery of that, of like, this this is a safe space it's a career neutral space. So we have resources to help students who are interested in faculty careers because there are jobs. There are not as many as we would like, but there are jobs mm-hmm. uh, that are posted every year. And we want students who maybe don't have the support of their advisors or don't have um, are unable to make in-person appointments to be able to begin thinking about their faculty ap- applications early and be able to access high quality resources to help them put forward their best application. And at the same time, be able to see that if that does, if that path doesn't work out for you, it will be okay. That this is a platform that has over a hundred PhDs that talk about where they work now. Um, and these people like their lives, they like their jobs, they're excited to share their stories. They come to us to tell their career stories because they want to help other PhDs because they've also gone through this journey. And and ultimately we want people to know that there are smart, you know, smart people work everywhere. Um, educated people work everywhere. There are lots of opportunities in the creative economy and you will be okay. Um, and that's really what we want the message of Aurora to be for students who are using the platform. For somebody who's who's new to this, where should they start with Aurora? So we've just revamped our video resource library, and I'm really excited about this. Um, we have uh, looked at the interests and values that are used on Imagine PhD, mm-hmm. which is a yep. free assessment Great tool. Great resource. I think you're talking about that. Yes. Uh, so um, once you've completed an Imagine PhD assessment, you can come to Aurora and log in and go to the video uh, resource library. And you can sort by discipline and you can also sort by values and interests that have come out of your assessment and find PhDs who are working in careers that align with those values and interests. And some of them might surprise you. I mean, we've been very broad, you know, in thinking about empowering others. We've been, um, which is one of the values uh, and interests that come out of uh, Imagine PhD. But PhDs who are working in the private sector, in nonprofits, in higher education, many of them feel like the work that they're doing is helping empower others. You know, so something like UX research, which might not be something that a humanities PhD would consider, but is a place where humanities PhDs are finding career success, are doing so because they like the the fact that they are helping people access resources, technology, apps, programs, um, and getting the information and tools that they need. And so we're finding that people who really loved teaching are finding career satisfaction in places like UX research. And so we really love it if students started there. So do your Imagine PhD assessment, come watch those videos, and hear the stories of PhDs who are 
uh, working in really creative spaces, um, places that you might not have known uh, about. And then once you've done that, we have a workbook that you can download in the Video Career Resource Library. Um, and once you've done that, you can begin doing informational interviews, beginning to identify Syracuse alumni or other PhDs from your discipline and start doing informational interviews with PhDs. And we, we, we teach you how to do that. And I'm sure, Dan, there's other resources and workshops that you're going to be doing on networking. Um, but, um, but that's where we would love people to start. Um, so rather than thinking like, what can I do with my humanities PhD, my PhD in history, start by thinking about why you got your degree in the first place. What is it that you value about the work that you're doing now? Why did you study gender and sexuality in early America, which is my discipline? Um, what was it that intrigued you about that? Because if you can think about your values and interests independent of the space in which you are working, then opportunities begin to show up in really interesting places that you might not have known. But if you think that empowering others can only happen in the classroom, then you will be very limited in the kinds of careers that you will consider. Thanks for that. So how might uh, a faculty member use Aurora in, in the department or, or how can a faculty member use it with students? I'm, I'm thinking, of course, that it'd be great if faculty were listening to this, but also that it might be nice for students to nudge faculty members and say, hey, this is something that maybe could foster a conversation. But what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I think it depending on what the faculty hope to get out of it, I would also encourage faculty to um, just for their own understanding of the kinds of careers the PhDs have and why they're interested in these careers and how professional work differs from academic work. I think just watching the interviews of PhDs in Aurora can be very helpful for faculty. Um, you know, I think that many faculty are unable to give the advice that they want to give because they don't know the answers. And so Aurora can help is a place where faculty can go um, to learn some of these answers, to be able to talk about what energizes PhDs about their work outside of the academy. And I think speak more confidently with their students about career options and the, the, the opportunities that are available to people in a creative economy. So I think that's just like on a very mm -hmm. personal level if a faculty member wants to invest some time. I think with your students, um, there, we have work booklets that are available throughout the platform. Um, and so there is an opportunity to work, to go through, work with students in your lab um, through some of our work booklets, having the students watch some of the videos and completing the exercises and then talking about it as a group, either in your lab or in your department. Um, we have built these resources uh, for individual study, but also job searching is more successful in a group. Um, we know this, you know, that's why people have lead groups um, to, and job seeker groups. And so having students be able to actually work through the program of study with you, um, having them go do the informational interviews and come back and report and talk about what they're learning um, could be one way that a faculty member could use this. And, and again, um, we've developed and designed work booklets that are downloadable, form fillable PDFs. And so they're, it's, it's ready to go. And so faculty can for sure use these workbooklets to guide conversations in their departments in an, in an organized way. Favorite parts of Aurora? What are you most excited about? Um, I, I mean, I think from an entrepreneurial perspective, I like the fact that we get to keep building this resource. I, that's mm. what's exciting to me about it. We're all constantly thinking about, like with the video resource library, 
we're constantly thinking about ways that we can add and improve um, the platform. I think what's most exciting to me is that it is a career neutral space. It is a place, like I like that we have the resources for faculty job search. We have the resources to help PhDs who are interested in the professional job search. Um, and then we have this just amazing resource of, of interviews with PhDs that I think, um, I think too often students overlook the value of learning from other people's lived experiences. And I say that, of course, as a historian, I find immense value in learning sure. from other people's lived experiences. But I think just the range and richness of the of the resources that are available in Aurora are really exciting. And I think what makes it, I think there's two things that make it a one-of-a-kind resource. One is the fact that there are these how-to seminars and work booklets that can really teach you the how to effectively search for, identify careers, and successfully apply for, for careers either in academia or beyond. And then the second piece is just the richness of the experiences mm. of PhDs. I don't know how many places you can go and watch videos with over 100 PhDs from all dis different disciplines working in all different kinds of sectors um, who, who tell compelling stories about their career transition and what energizes them about the work that they're doing now. Um, and that's I, I like that we've been able to build that. I'm, I'm really proud of the work that the team has put into this platform, and I, I hope students find it as valuable as we, um, as, as we hope they do. As we know <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. <laughs> any, any final thoughts? Anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think just one of the things that I would just say to students who are listening to this now is that it's never too early to start thinking about career options. Mm -hmm. It's okay if academia is your first choice. Um, it was for me. It was for many of members of my team. It's also okay if it's not your first choice. If you're looking at the job market and you're thinking, uh, no, this is like not where I want to go. But know that it takes time. Like a career transition is a research project. Um, it requires you to do a, do self-reflection, but it requires you to build a community of experts. These will be the professionals that will be working in career fields of interest. It requires you to connect with people who are working at companies of interest. It requires you to learn a new discourse, the language of employers mm -hmm. in the new field that you're interested in, in, in moving to. It requires you to learn an entire new way of writing, which is resumes and cover letters. They're totally different. Um, it takes time. And if you treat it with the same seriousness that you treat your academic studies, um, you know, you'll be successful. But if you treat it as something that you can do in a hurry or something that, um, you know, people should just hire you because they have you have a PhD, like they won't. You know, there's lots of people with PhDs or lots of people without PhDs. Employers are going to be interested in, you know, your ability to come in and solve problems tomorrow. And knowing what the problems are that employers have is a really big part of the research process. Yeah, that's the cell. So that you are, yeah. yeah, it's the cell. Yeah, you have to solve my problems. Um, and I've hired, you know, for Beyond Prof, and I get applications from PhDs all the time. And, um, you know, it's really discouraging for me to look at these applications because so many of them are, you know, sending me CVs or cover letters that are just not, they don't know what my need is. Um, they haven't identified what my problem is. And I don't know if you can write tweets. I know that you are a published author and you have many academic pub publications, but I don't know if that means that you can write an email to my news, like to my mail list subscribers. And so it, it really, I think PhDs underestimate the amount of time that it takes to do a proper job search and the amount of time it takes to to do this, to do this well, um, in order to have a successful career transition. So, if you're a second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year PhD, you know, yesterday was a good time to start thinking about career options mm -hmm. um, and starting to build your network. 
Absolutely. So, Marin, it's been great talking to you, and I'm, I'm very excited to have Aurora on this campus. It's been a long time in coming, as you know. And so for those of you who are listening, I do hope that you give Aurora a look. I think it's it's worth your time. And like Marin said, it's really a rare opportunity for um, the kinds of resources that Marin has brought to bear along with her team. So again, thank you, Marin, and um, thank you to everybody listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.